Well, welcome everybody. If I haven't met you, my name is Pastor Mike Lotzer, and welcome to Mercy Road Church. We're in the midst of a sermon series called What I'm Not Doing for Christmas. Because no matter what your Christmas routine is like, if you are an American, you no doubt would admit that we overdo it. We said last week that the highest single day for heart attacks in our country is Christmas Eve, most of them around 10 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Some places see a surge in upwards of 40% rates of heart attacks. Why would that be? Could it be, perhaps, that we spend all of December rushing and running and shopping and eating and buying things and having expectations and having awkward family conversations that we don't want to have and really just going from one thing to the next? Could it be that the Christmas season is a party that never stops, but it focuses oftentimes on the wrong thing. And we come to Christmas Eve just exhausted, worn out. And so we're asking ourselves here at Mercy Road in December, what can we not do? What could we go without this December? Not, not to be Spartan-like or to miss out on anything, but to actually feel a deeper level of satisfaction in the reason for the season, in worshiping Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Today, we are going to answer a question that was raised last week. Last week, we said, what if we replace running and rushing with resting? But the question behind that statement is, how? How do you do that? The answer, according to the scriptures, is Sabbath rest, Sabbath rest. And so we're going to talk about this. And at the onset, I just want to say with um, transparency and humility, this is not an area of expertise in my life. Uh, you know, an expert is someone who knows a great deal about something and skillfully and faithfully applies all that knowledge on a regular basis. I know things about Sabbath, but this hasn't been an area where I've been as consistent as I'd like to be. And so if you are feeling any level of shame or conviction, like, oh, I don't really get Sabbath rest. I, I really am not good at this. Uh, you're not alone today. And so we walk into this depending on God to guide us and illuminate our path. Would you stand if uh, you are able, as we read from God's word, we do this from time to time just to remind our own hearts that this is not just a book. This is the very inspired word of God. Reading from Genesis chapter 1, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it... He rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is God's word. You may be seated. Gracious God, would you bless the, the hearing and the preaching and the applying of your word now? We need more of you in our lives this season, and we want to be men and women who pursue wisely the simplicity that is really a joy in this season if we can find it. Help us to live in anticipation of your coming this Advent. Thank you that you injected yourself into human history because you so loved everyone here. You know us by name. You know exactly 
what we have brought in these doors and what we need. We give you this time and ask that you would be close to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, let's start by making just an uh, observation. Sabbath rest lets us see and celebrate what is very good. Did you notice in the scripture from Genesis that we just looked at, God says, hey, check it out. It's very good. It's actually interesting. Some translations will say, behold, it was very good. And there's a Hebrew word for that. And I don't know why some translations don't keep the behold, maybe because we don't typically go around saying, behold, behold. You know, that's, that's kind of an old school term. But we do say, check it out. Look at this. And that is exactly the feel we're, we're supposed to understand that God is taking on here. He's, he's working diligently. He's creating. And then he steps back and he says, whoa, check it out. Check it out. It is good. Are you a person that is able to, with any consistency, just stop the productivity, the to-do list, the shopping list, the work list, the emails, and just step back and say, check it out. This is good. This is very good. I struggle with that. Anyone else struggle with that? You liars. I know some of you struggle with that. Just kidding. We do because we are probably the most forward-facing culture that has ever existed on planet Earth. We are Americans, and we like progress, and we like to march forward and take the hill. And it is almost a rare occurrence these days for us to stop and look back and say, you know what? That, that was very good. That was very good. Do you guys remember before smartphones and technology invaded our lives, you'd have like a shoebox full of real photographs? Do you guys remember that? And every once in a while, I remember as a kid growing up, we'd pull that out and you'd just start thumbing through these photos and it became this really cool time of actually touching a photo. I know this is hard for the younger people in the room. They, the things that you see on the smartphone, they put on like this thing that's kind of like paper, but it's a little shinier and you could actually hold it in your hand and you could just kind of put them in stacks, right? We, we don't do that, do we? And it's almost like God is modeling something that he knows will be very important for us and he suspects we're not going to get right. Because it's not like God needed to rest, right? God, God doesn't need a nap. God is the source of boundless energy that, that at the spoken word of his command generates universes. He doesn't need a nap. He doesn't need a siesta. He doesn't need to take it easy and go to the spa. But what he does do is he models what it looks like to truly see and celebrate what is very good. Some of you grew up in homes and you had parents who really just couldn't do this. They just could never stop and say, you know what? This is very good. For them, it was always, this could have been a little better, very critical, a lack of satisfaction or contemplation on what is good. The problem with always keeping your head down and always working and never stopping and never resting and never taking a moment to say, you know what? It's not all perfect, but this right here, this is good. The problem with that is you'll miss everything. Another way to think about that is if we never stop producing, we will never start truly praising. 
And so in God's wisdom, he models for us a ratio of work, 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 rest. And in that rest, one of the central things we will do if we are mimicking God's modeling behavior is to say, I see this and I celebrate that this is good. What would your December look like if there was a little more of that injected and a little less running and running and running and running? God saw all that he had made and check it out, it's good. This, by the way, is the practical how-to when it comes to the Apostle Paul's instructions in Philippians 4, 8. What does he say to the church in Philippi and to us indirectly? Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Set your mind on that stuff. Those are just synonyms for what is very good. We don't always do that. In fact, if we never take a Sabbath, if we never rest and pause and create a disciplined area where work doesn't invade, we're not going to be very successful in really contemplating on what is good, true, and right, and beautiful because we will just be too distracted and busy and productive and we will forget to praise and appreciate. Some people go through their entire lives producing excellent, praiseworthy things, and they are the last one to enjoy it. They don't enjoy any of it, not for a minute. They have no rest. Augustine once said, the human heart is restless until it comes to find its rest in God. One of the ways we find our rest in God is to practice the discipline of Sabbath. Secondly, Sabbath rest is a God-blessed gift. You know, we read these scriptures, especially in Genesis, some of the more familiar ones, if we grew up in church, you just blow past some of this stuff. But did you notice in verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He blessed it. What does it mean when God specifically blesses something for the purpose of making it holy? Holy means separate, different than. One translation that I like is elevated. He elevated it. To make something holy is to elevate it. It has a unique purpose. And that purpose, that blessed purpose of the Sabbath is that it's going to bless all the other days. It's going to bring flourishing and wholeness to the six days of productivity. Now, if God blesses a gift, we should probably think about the implications of how valuable that gift now is. You, you know that there's some celebrity in your life, maybe a musician or a sports figure, that if, if they took a selfie with you and then signed their name on that with a little note and put that in a little frame, it would be like that hero of yours blessed a gift, personalized it, and gave it just to you. There's no way you would just kind of throw it in the corner and be like, cool. You would, want, you would want that gift prominent. You would kind of treat it as holy, elevated, different than all your other things. And that's really not an exaggeration of what the Sabbath is. Mark 2.24 
is an interesting place in the ministry of Jesus where Jesus is disregarding some of the Sabbath rules and he explains to the religious judgy rule keepers who are saying, you can't do that. He said, the Sabbath was made for man and women, ladies, that's implied, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a gift that was made for human, humankind. Humankind was not made for the gift. That little pithy statement of Jesus should give us great insight into the nature of the Sabbath. It's a gift. I don't always think of it like that, though. I don't like to be told what to do with my free time. I don't, in general, like rules. I don't like the law. I like grace. How about you? We're Americans. We've started this whole experiment with something called the revolution, a war of independence. We're independent people. And so we don't like it when anybody, even God says, hey, every seventh day, would you just pause? Would you see and celebrate what is good? Would you renew yourself? Would you rest? Would you praise me? Would you just say it's good enough? Would you just trust me that this is a gift? When I was growing up, my mom made me take six years of piano. Now, that was kind of a big deal for a kid who didn't like piano. But that was how it was in our house. My sisters had to do it too. In every piano lesson, I thought, what a pain. I don't like this. I'm not very good at it. But you do six years of anything, and you get pretty good eventually. And then came those years where you start being interested in that cute girl or whatever. And I found something out. I could play the piano really well, and some girls thought that was really cool. And all of a sudden, what felt like a really big bummer, a restriction on my life, was like this whole new gift. And all of a sudden, I love the piano. I love playing the piano. Now, my wife, who's a better piano player than me, was very underwhelmed by my piano playing abilities. So the irony, of course, was it wasn't that much of a gift. But maybe, maybe that's kind of how Sabbath is. When we start engaging in this discipline of resting on intervals of six to one, it doesn't feel like a gift at first, but how many gifts in your life, some of the better things in your life, did you not initially think were a gift? It felt like an imposition, like too big of an ask, like a bummer. The Sabbath was made for man, custom made, not man for the Sabbath. Whatever God blesses is generative. That's what one scholar wrote in a commentary I read this week. Do you know what generative is? It generates things. So he points out that in the context, Genesis 1.22, God makes animals and Adam and Eve, 1.28, and he immediately blesses these animals and blesses the male and the female, and then there is fruitfulness that flows out of that within context. So when God blesses something, that thing will now generate really good things. The Sabbath is the only day of creation that God says, I'm going to bless this one. Now, he's already used every other day to generate and create good things. So if the other six are already teeming with creativity and flourishing and good stuff, 
And the one day that doesn't involve any creating, that is the blessed one. And whatever God blesses is the truly generative thing. What are we to learn? I think we are to assume, even though it's counterintuitive, that it's in our inactivity, in our Sabbath rest, that the best things will flow out of, that the most creative, wonderful things will come out of. Some of this is just practically true in our experience. Remember that time you were trying to solve a problem and you worked and you worked and you you got tired and you kept at it and you kept at it and maybe you got sidelined through a health thing. You were forced to take a rest and you slept for like 10 hours and that hadn't happened in a decade. And all of a sudden you wake up after your forced rest and you're like, I, I get it. I see the solution. It was so easy. Why didn't I get that? Well, what, what, what's the deal with that? Maybe God knows that we need to be renewed. God doesn't need renewal, but he does want that for us. He does want that for you. Are we willing to accept that gift? Thirdly, Sabbath rest assumes one day will make or break the other six. We've already alluded to that, but the simple fact that a day is too much to ask, and I think most of us kind of feel that way because a day is a big ask, that is, that is a reasonable statement unless the other six days of your week depend on that one day. It's a big ask. It's too much, God, for you to ask for me to, to downshift, to enter into reflection and recreation that renews me, doesn't leave me exhausted. That's just too much to ask because it's a full day and I've got a lot on my plate unless... Everything on my plate depends, hinges on that day that you're asking for me to elevate into something different. If it's fueling it, if it's forming the other days, it may not be too much to ask. It may be the perfect ask. A day of Sabbath, you might consider, will inject Sabbath principles into the other six days of work. There's an example that, that I found this week uh, associated with these Sabbath laws in the Old Testament is uh, something called a gleaning law. It comes from Leviticus 19.9. Now, in an agrarian, farm-based culture like the ancient world where everyone had to grow food out of the ground themselves, harvest time was critical. You had to get as much as you could. You know, that's that's... Your, your income, that's what you eat, it's everything. And in that context where you don't ever know if there's going to be enough, God says in his command to his elevated, set-apart, holy people that they are supposed to not glean at the edges. They could not reap to the very edges of their field. Why? Because if they left a little harvest on the edges, this provided for the people who had a medical condition and all of a sudden this harvest, they didn't have any food. This provided for the widow whose husband was killed in war and she was raising all these kids and she just needed some harvest, but it allowed her to have the dignity to collect a harvest. So there was a social act of mercy involved in that, but scholars have repeatedly looked at that and said, there is an application here in our work lives. What would it look like to set limitations on our own productivity? 
to not work as hard as we, we actually could work so that work does not become an idol, so that our inactivity, our lack of gleaning to the very edge actually becomes a blessing to other people. And you know this is true because when somebody really needed you last year and they looked to you for some encouragement or practical help or aid or assistance and you uttered the words that were devastating for them to hear, I'd love to help, I'm just so busy. You may have no idea what that felt like to them, what was hanging in the balance. And maybe you're on the other side of that. You're surrounded by people who are so busy this December, and you just wish that someone would not glean to the very edges and they would leave just a little bit of margin so that they might see the pain that you're in. We are supposed to bear each other's burdens, Christ followers. We're supposed to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's very difficult to do if you glean to the edges in every field, metaphorically speaking, of your life. Practically speaking, what does this look like? This may look like us saying no to certain things so we can say to, uh, yes to other things. This may look like us setting less ambitious goals than we'd actually like to so that we can have more margin, more Sabbath rest. Sabbath, by the way, just means rest, Shabbat, rest, to pause. What would it look like if this one day is actually going to make all the other days more useful to human beings and to yourself? Not only will you be renewed because of Sabbath, not only will you feel a deeper sense of satisfaction because you've actually taken time to see and celebrate what is good, but now you are going to bring those Sabbath principles into the other days, and you're going to be the type of person who can work hard and leave it at work. And that is increasingly hard to do, is it not, my friends? You can work anywhere. You can work anywhere. I, I rarely use my, my office anymore in the church because I can sit in any of our nice little environments throughout the church, and why not sit in like a little living room? Because I just have a laptop, I don't use a desktop anymore, and really I wouldn't even need the laptop in a pinch because I could use my smartphone, and that means we can work anywhere, and if we're not careful, if we don't respect and honor Sabbath principles, that means we will work everywhere. And you know it's true, and I know it's true, how many studies, how many news reports do we need to hear about screens interfering with our sleep cycles? And so don't have them in bed and don't check that. But how many of us keep that right on the nightstand? I mean, I've had people actually tell me that they are unable to go to the bathroom without their smartphone. They need, which to me is like, that's why we put those hand sanitizer Purell's throughout the church. It's like, you're taking that in the bathroom? What I'm saying is that this is a day that will inject restful principles, balanced principles into every other day. But if we don't honor the day, and it is a day, it's not 15 minutes, then how likely is it that it will have any impact on the rest of the day? And that's true with other things, right? If you spend one full day doing something uh, I don't know, like helping 
uh, build construction for the poor with Habitat for Humanity. If you were to do that, it would be virtually impossible for the following six days of your life not to come with little built-in reminders of, of people who are less fortunate. Your mind would go back to that day experience. And that's what God is inviting us into. Lastly, Sabbath rest keeps us from becoming slaves to productivity. Judith Shulevitz wrote an interesting New York Times article. She was a secular uh, Jewish woman, or is. She writes this in the New York Times. It's a fascinating little article. About a decade ago, I developed a full-blown weekend disorder, she writes. Perhaps because I'm Jewish, it came on Friday nights. Jews take the Sabbath on Saturday, which is literally the seventh day. We moved to Sunday for most of Christianity because Christ rose from the grave on Sunday. So we injected those Sabbath same principles onto a new Sabbath on Sunday. So she writes, my mood would darken until by Saturday afternoon, what would traditionally be her Sabbath, I'd be unresponsive and morose. My normal routine, which involved brunch with friends, swapping tales of misadventures in relentless quest for romance and professional success made me feel impossibly restless. Now, she's doing stuff that is leisurely, but she's not finding any rest. That's very interesting. I started spending Saturdays by myself. After a while, I got lonely, and I did something that as a teenager, profoundly put off by my religious education, I would have never imagined wanting to do as an adult. I began dropping in on a nearby synagogue. She went back to church. As recently as 125 years ago, she writes, you would have been hard-pressed to find a museum, a library open on Sunday. 80 years ago, football was considered too vulgar to be played on Sunday. Oldsters remember standing in line at the bank on Fridays to get cash for the weekend. Most stores were closed on Sundays. The expectation now is that they will all be open, except for Chick-fil-A. And we're miffed when they aren't. I'll admit, I've been a little internally frustrated when I wanted a chicken biscuit on a Sunday and it wasn't there. The lonely Sunday has been replaced by the overscheduled Sunday. Soccer Sunday, Little League Sunday, Yoga Class Sunday, Catching Up Around the House Sunday. Americans still go to church somewhat. And in truth, most Americans who say they go to church attend church in person 1.4 times a month, according to a Barna study. But we still go to church, and then we run into a list of never-ending activity, which is kind of interesting. So we go to church, and we, we're like, okay, we're going to see and celebrate what's good, God. We're going to pause and reflect on you. We're going to nurture our children's spirituality. We're just going to still ourselves and practice Sabbath. And then we leave church and do a hundred million things after that. I mean, that, it's, that's about as hypocritically and crazy as uh, Black Friday coming right after Thanksgiving. It's like, thank you, God. I need nothing. I'm so content. You've given me everything. Oh, my gosh, it's 5 p.m. I'm going to the mall. I need 10 flat screens. I will trample you if you get in the way, right? That, what? like working out and then eating 10 Big Macs. Like, there, there's certain things you just don't follow up after the next thing. I mean, the bottom line of this article is interesting because she comes back to a faith in Yahweh, the one true God, because she feels a profound lack of Sabbath in her life. And even though she's successful, 
she noticed what she calls in the article an internal murmur in her heart, a work that's underneath her work. Have you, have you noticed that internal murmur? When you're working, when you're, when you're going about your flurry of activity, there becomes a desperation. And even when you finish it, and it's good, you can't say it's really good, you gotta get to the next thing. And then the next thing. Do you know that there's no command in the New Testament to practice Sabbath? The New Testament writers are constantly referring to the Ten Commandments. And every commandment of the Ten Commandments shows up all over the place in the New Testament except for the Fourth Commandment. You don't have to do this. We don't even practice on the seventh day anymore. We practice on the first day, Sunday. This is not a law thing. It's not something that God wants from you. Rather, it's something that God wants for you. In a very similar way, there's no command in the New Testament that you have to give 10% of your income. We live on the other side of the rigidity of the law code. We live in an age of freedom. It's like God is growing us up and saying, of course you don't have to. Why wouldn't we want to? Why wouldn't we want to give? Why wouldn't we want to rest? Do you want to live in a constant state of restlessness where you can never call something very good that's very good, where you can never leave a little margin at the end of your field to help other people? You're made in my image. Why would you want to live in a way that's contrary to my image? So you don't have to do this. No one's going to force you to do this, but the warning is this. If you don't, if I don't, learn how to practice some version of Sabbath rest, we may just find that we have become full-blown slaves to our own productivity. Do you remember the Rocky movie? Rocky's asked what, uh, why he has to go the distance, why he's always training and running. What does he say? To prove that I'm not a bum. To show everybody that I'm not a bum. I gotta go the distance. He's just saying, I have to justify myself with my work. No matter what's on your LinkedIn profile, no matter how many endorsements you have, no matter how great your resume is, no matter how many goals you have met or exceeded, no matter how many promotions you get at work, you know deep, deep down that you will still feel restless and like you need to justify yourself. It's never going to be enough. We referenced a few weeks back Tom Brady's quote after winning all these Super Bowls. He just said, I kind of thought there'd be more. And I wish somebody would tell me what that is. Christians are not better than any other people. We're not smarter than any other people. Many times we're not even more moral than other people. We rather are simply men and women who have come to the end of ourselves and realize that there's no amount of work, no shiny report card or performance or religious achievements that we could ever do to justify us, to stop that restless internal murmur that pushes us to prove ourselves. We've just come to the point of saying, God, I surrender. I need your forgiving love to to save me. 
from the slavery to productivity, from the slavery of trying to justify myself, of earn my own way. Sabbath is not the point. Sabbath, rather, points to the point. Sabbath is a foretaste of the eternal rest that we will have, the eternal looking at this and saying it's very good satisfaction, the rhythms of work and creativity and joy that we'll experience in heaven. And yes, perfect rest alongside of that. The greatest Sabbath we will ever practice is accepting Jesus Christ, forgiving love, and really taking a deep breath and saying, I don't have to prove myself. It's not about my church attendance. It's not about my, my record of how many sins I've committed recently, how many good things, and if I've done more good things and bad things, and maybe God will love me. I don't need to think that way. I can just rest in the knowledge that God loves me, that I'm forgiven, that I'm free, and now, out of that place of profound rest, I can work. Work in ways that will help the world flourish, that will honor God, that will create, inspire, and do wonderful things. We'll meet the needs of a broken world. If this has stirred up in you questions of how do you practice Sabbath? How do you downshift out of that level of productivity? Does it have to be a day? What does that mean about serving a kids' ministry? Because last time I checked, that felt like a little bit of work. And what about this? And how do I, and can you go to football games or whatever? Write those questions down. Engage with other people in the church. Send me an email. Let's talk about those things. This is what the church is meant to do, to figure this out, wrestle these things out together, and then apply. But if we just hear sermons like this and agree, yeah, in general, there's probably a good case for Sabbath, and then we do nothing about it, we're not going to achieve what God wants to give us. We're not going to accept that gift like he wants us to. Let's pray as we uh, do pray. I invite you to uh, also intercede on behalf of uh, three families of Army National Guard soldiers. Uh, we, we had a lot of military in this uh, congregation, more so than most churches, and uh, three, three uh, aviators uh, crashed on a Black Hawk, uh, no survivors. And for them this December, and every December afterwards, for those families, it's going to feel different. So let's leave enough edge of our field to intercede on behalf of those family members. Gracious God, we lift up this, uh, this whole conversation of Sabbath. Thank you for modeling what it looks like to rest from productivity and, and creation itself and, and just to look back and say, this is good, this is very good. To celebrate relationships to celebrate your love for us, to rest in your salvation, your amazing grace like we would rest in the most comfortable bed after a long day. Thank you for renewing us. For those of us who just feel soul weary this December, I pray that your rest would come to each one of our weary hearts, Lord, that you would teach us how to cast our burdens on you this December, that you would train us to to remind our own hearts every Sunday, every Sabbath, or whatever day we take Sabbath, that we don't have to strive anymore. You've done it all. 
to prove ourselves. You, you love us. You forgive us. God, we do pray for these families who have lost sons, brothers, husbands, friends. And we pray for all those who mourn with heavy hearts in this church and beyond. Lastly, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would intercede on behalf of each one of us. Would you ask for us what we would ask if we had the perfect answer? We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand.